Good morning. If you would please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you're turning, I want to open with a question for believers this morning. And that is, how do you know you're saved? How do you know that you have become a Christian? Some of you might ask, well, you don't ask believers that question, right? Um, I want to talk to you this morning about one of the basics of the Christian faith, and that is the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation. How do you and I know that God has chosen us, saved us, redeemed us, or picked us, elected us, if you want to use that term? Okay? I'm not asking you how you got right with God. What I'm asking you is how do you know that you're right with God? All right? So, how do you know, believer, that you're saved? You can answer. It's okay. Fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Any other answers? Okay, God's favor upon your life. Well, I'm glad you didn't say it was because of a prayer that I prayed back in the day, right? Or because I was baptized. Or any work that we do, right? Now, we do works, but not to become saved. We do works as a result of being saved, right? So this morning what I want to do is I want to show you how the assurance of salvation actually works. And I want to show you that from Scripture. So we're going to be covering a lot of Scripture texts. This is a topical sermon. I won't be exegeting any of these texts. I'll just be doing a sort of a running commentary on them. But hopefully I can uh, give you guys something from the scriptures. And this is my burden this morning to you, brothers and sisters. I want to give you guys hope. I want to give you guys something that you can go away with to motivate you to serve your Lord all the more this week. All right? I want to encourage your souls with the word of God. Um, Why don't we pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll get into our subject for this morning. God, we love you. We are here because you have loved us and you have redeemed us. And Lord, we want to know as much as we can about this wonderful, marvelous salvation. We want to be those, Lord, who glorify you in all that we do in our living. And we come this morning seeking that you would encourage us, empower us by your Spirit, that we might live this week in service to you, and that we might experience the joy of that experience. And we ask it all for your great glory. Amen. (coughs) So the way Christians know that they have been saved or chosen is God gives them something, and that's something that God gives to every believer, is his Holy Spirit. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And the Spirit of God, this is what he does. This is a part of his um, work, being a part of the Godhead, in the life of the believer or the life of the Christian. Christ has paid for our sin. God the Father has ordained it. The Holy Spirit seals it. All right? Done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, 
says this, starting in verse 13, ending at verse 14. I'm just breaking right in here. In him, that's in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Okay, so after we heard the word of truth, we trusted. After someone preached to us, or we heard a message of the gospel, we trusted. The gospel of your, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So Christ purchased our salvation. The Holy Spirit, what? Seals it. All right? Now, what does that mean, right? What is the sealing of the Holy Spirit? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to highlight this, to show you that the... uh, It's not just one verse that declares this about the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And this is more of a Bible study this morning, brothers and sisters, but hopefully you'll be edified and encouraged by it. Because it is the Word of God, right? 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 22, reads this way. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There it is again. See it? So you see how all three are involved here? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit And you see from Scripture how the Bible's specific about what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit seals us. One other passage, and then we'll move on to talk about what this sealing is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. And this is why Bible study is so important, right, brothers and sisters? We can see it coming from the Word of God. Um. We don't have to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that men teach out there. It's all in the, it's in the Bible. Know your Bibles. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There it is. That's, that's the testimony of three, right? Now the question is, what is this sealing or this guarantee? The term seal, pledge, or guarantee has all together to do with assurance, okay? Meaning we give a pledge or we seal or guarantee something, right? Um, At work, uh, one of my um, coworkers will come into my office that I might give my signature as a seal. Have you ever looked at your signature that way? You know what that signature does? It authenticates what? Whatever you're doing with the document, right? Okay. It's, it's an assurance. It's a confirmation, an authorization. That's what we mean by seal. You guys with me? Follow me? One of the words used for seal is signet taken from the Old Testament. It's where we get the term signature. And back in the day, when the king would put a seal on his letter, he would put a wax kind of deal. My wife uses it now for her uh, crafts. It's a wax seal that authenticates that this is from the king. And usually he gave a ring, right, to seal it. That's the idea when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God sealing us. That's the idea. That's what God has in mind, authentication right? See, you and I can make claims, or everyone out there can make claims that they know God, right? But God has to what? Seal that. He has to put his signature on it. He has to authorize it. You understand? So it's not about us claiming to be saved, right? I mean, I can convince you that I'm a Christian. 
But what does the Bible say? How does God authorize that? How does he seal that in the lives of his children? You guys follow me? Um, I want you to turn to Acts to illustrate this, so <clears throat> just to show you that the scripture's one whole and it can't be broken, and when you're dealing with the do- doctrine, you should see it all over scripture, because no scripture is any pri- of any private interpretation, right? It's called the analogy of faith. So what John taught, Jesus taught, what Jesus taught, Moses taught, what Moses taught, Jeremiah taught, what Jeremiah taught, Nehemiah taught, Right? So let's say like they all spoke on the subject of love, all of them would be consistent in their theology. That's called the analogy of faith. You with me? That's, the scriptures can't be broken. When Moses speaks of love and Jesus speaks of love, they're going to talk about it in the same way. All right? <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 5, and this is the establishment of the church in the first century. These are the acts of the apostles who were given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as Jesus promised and as prophesied in the book of Joel when God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, this in the book of Acts, that's the beginning of it, okay? And in Acts chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, we read this. Him God has exalted, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, he was just crucified, to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay? And then turn over to Acts 19, 1 through 5. I'm not telling you guys anything new here. But, uh, right, it's good to hear these things by way of reminder. 19, 1 through 5, reads this way, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Interesting, huh? So they said to him, we have not so much as even heard of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And they claim to be Christian? They, can't, they, they claim to be believers? Verse 3. He didn't say, uh, you're, you're not Christian. He said in verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Okay? So again, we see illustrations of how God sealed his people through the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right, so the next question is, if God seals us with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation, it's God's signature mark upon the believer that God has granted him salvation. He's an elect one. He's been chosen. How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit, right? Isn't that the next question? How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? So we know that God assures us through the Holy Spirit. You guys with me? If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Okay? So, if you have the Spirit of Christ, you're a true Christian. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. The next question is, how do we know that we have the Spirit of Christ? And I want to look at uh, several texts of scriptures to kind of highlight this throughout the scriptures. 
And let me just say before we move uh, to this point, there are many evidences in the Bible uh, that, um, that manifest the Holy Spirit within uh, God's people, but I just want to give you three for the sake of time. I, I want to give you the three predominant ones to whereby you can know and assure your hearts that you're a Christian. Now, the other thing I would say for you, believer, is this is why it's so important that you don't grieve or quench the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed onto the day of redemption. Okay? Because the way assurance works is if you quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, you won't feel so what? Sure, will you? And that's why we struggle with the assurance of salvation as Christians even. Get it? See why this doctrine is so important? The Bible says don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, why? Because God has given you that to assure you. And when you quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, you're messing with your assurance. See how it works? You guys with me? Okay? So the first passage that I want to turn you to is Romans chapter 8. And the first evidence that the Spirit is at work in us, or I shouldn't say the first, one of the evidences that the Spirit is at work in us, is the Spirit of God will make you alive because you're born again by the Spirit of God, and he will give you a desire to fight sin. All right? Romans 8, and verse 8, beginning at verse 8. And this is why sin grieves us, brothers and sisters. This is why we can no longer live in sin. Verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's capital Spirit. That's a reference to the Spirit of Christ. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's your mortal body. Okay, the wages of sin is death. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if you're a Christian, God has deposited his spirit in you. He gave that to you when you became born again. And the spirit in you is going to do something. Watch. He says in verse 11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay. So the spirit in you is going to bring you to life. All right? And it's the same power that God raised Jesus from the dead with. Believer, you have that power. You understand? Okay? It's not the power of the Hulk or Iron Man. What does Iron Man do? Or Thor. Boom! Right? No, you have a specific power to fight what? Sin. Oh, boring. I like the Hulk or Thor or, you know, the lights, camera, action, right? No, this is glorious, brothers and sisters. We, we, we no longer have to be enslaved to our sin. God has raised us from the dead. We, we are alive now. We can fight sin. Sin no longer can have its way with you. Isn't that glorious? He says this, verse 12, Therefore, because you have that power in you, therefore, brethren, you are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. We'll, I'll clarify that a little later. Don't go there. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Christ, God, has given you a spirit to empower you to put to death the deeds of the body. We call that fighting sin. We call that mortifying sin. You guys with me? Okay. You, if you're a Christian, should desire to do that. And what that will look like in your life is when, when you sin, because we do, all right, you will begin to fight it to where it doesn't overpower you and you become a slave to it. Doesn't mean that you'll be sinless, right? 
So let's take a particular sin, anger. I struggle with anger, and so do you, by the way. But because Christ's living in me, anger will no longer get the best of me to where I'm labeled as an angry man by the world or by the church. You guys with me? Now, you'll see struggles with anger if you come into my home, you'll catch me yelling at my daughter or mean mugging my wife or, or doing some other kind of thing that I shouldn't be doing. But it'll never get to the point to where anger just completely dominates me to where I'm slaved, enslaved by it again like those out in the world. See, that's what the power of Christ looks like in me. And that's what the world wants hope from. You understand? And you can take any of the sins. You can take sexual immorality. You can take uh, lying and, and a lying lifestyle. You, you, you name it. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You understand, believer? You've been empowered. You've been invested with something. The Spirit of God. All right? Now watch how he connects this with assurance. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you through the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, well, led to do what? Put to death the deeds of the body. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Right? It's not the ones who are claiming to be the sons of God out there. It's the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. Well, led by the Spirit of God to do what? Put to death sin. Fight sin in their lives. You guys with me? Okay, Watch, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, that's the spirit of God, of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Because you're going to need to be doing that when you start fighting sin. You're going to need to be t depend upon Abba, Father. In fact, God teaches you to pray as you begin to engage that kind of warfare. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children of God. See the ceiling there? You see the seal there? See how it's all connected with our assurance? So, if you're a believer this morning and you're not fighting sin, guess what? You're going to lack what? Assurance. You guys with me? You understand? Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Okay, that's a separate issue. I'm not talking about that right now. But it does mean if you're not fighting sin, you're probably going to lack assurance at some point in your walk with the Lord because you're disobeying the Lord. You're not doing with Christ what God intends you to do with Christ or the power that he's deposited in your soul. And you will begin to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit that God has given you to seal you, to assure you, to give you confidence and boldness when you face the world, when you face uh, a hostile world, when you have to face persecution, when you run up against people at work who ain't living the Christian lifestyle and they're mocking you as a result of it, or they're persecuting you in subtle ways. God, through his Holy Spirit, empowers you to face that. But if you're not following the Spirit, if you're not being led by the Spirit, if you're doing the flesh then you're going to be weak sauce, right? You understand? You're going to be like Peter when the girl comes around. I saw you. Me? No, I don't even know that he... Who's that? I don't know who Jesus is. What are you talking about? Weak. Impotent. Right? So... The first evidence, first meaning the first one I'm talking to you about this morning, is the Spirit will empower you to fight your sin. Okay, And that's a whole separate subject that I would like to do with you guys. It's called the doctrine of mortification. It's been taught in the church for years. And that's how we instruct God's people on how to do battle with sin, how to fight it. Okay. Right now we're just mentioning it as one of the evidences whereby God seals us or assures us that we're Christians in this life. And this is how you experience the joy and the peace from following the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Spirit will urge us to love like God loves. Turn to Romans chapter 5. 
the Spirit will urge us to love like God's love. Do you know that God's love is different from the world's, brothers and sisters? And we have to discern that. We can't let a worldly kind of love creep in here, all right? And we're loving one another like the world loves one another. The kind of love that God loves is different from the world. The kind of love that God loves with, the world hates, okay? It's not natural love, meaning it's not the love that you mommies have for your children by nature. It's not, it's not the love that we fathers have for our children and our wives by nature. Do you know that? That's natural love. Follow me? Don't confuse that with godlike love, agape or agape, sacrificial love, love that has to be given to you, not something that comes natural to you. The bird in the nest right now that's feeding her chicks, that comes natural to that bird, right? Well, the same love that we love one another with, what's up, bro? You know, that kind of thing, and how's it going, and, and greetings and all that, that's natural, and that, and that can be diminished. But that, don't confuse that with the love of God, okay? The love of God is distinct, first and foremost, in that it has to be given to you. It's a gift. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was what? given to us. There it is. So when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes us alive to the love of God. It's given to us, right? Don't confuse that with your natural love. So how do we distinguish the two? Let's keep reading. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, right? That means DK and I will probably get together to die for Doug because that's our what? Bro, right? And Doug's a righteous man. You know, I'll get his back, right? Or let's think of military, right? We're, we're, out, we're comrades in, in battle, and, and I'm, I'm set to you know, cover someone. I'm going to get his back, and I'll even take a bullet for him. I'll die for the, a, a good cause, if you will, right? Not everybody does that. You understand? Not everybody's been endowed with that kind of courage. You can read about that in the Old Covenant. There were, there, were, there were noble, courageous guys by nature. God just gifted them that way. Okay. Then he goes on to say this. For scarcely would a righteous man die, yet perhaps for a good some would even dare to die. Right. So righteous causes and good causes will get people out in the world that will die for those things. Right. Like I'll take a bullet for my children and my wife in a heartbeat. And men, so should you, by the way. Okay? Now, we, sin may have devastated us to where we're even afraid to do that. God forbid that, but that's what sin does to the human race, right? That's what sin does to the heart. You've got chickens and cowards like, like me. I can be that way because of sin and how it's devastated us and the effects of it. Right? Like mothers losing the natural love that they have for their children and baking them in microwaves. What? True story. The depravity of man. How does a soul get there? That is so sad. But check this out. Verse 8. But God demonstrates. Stop there. God demonstrates. It's on display. He's showing us. He's magnifying something here. He wants you and I to see it. It's different than our love. Scarcely for a righteous man will die. Some would die for a righteous cause, but God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, that's when Jesus died. He said, son, don't do it for a righteous cause. Don't do it for a righteous man. Don't do it for a good cause. I want you to go down and die for who? Sinners. Enemies, hate-filled people, rebels. That's what I want you to die so you can demonstrate my love. Do you understand? See, if you have the Spirit of God in you, and that's the only way that you can love this way, right? Because I'm telling you right now, if my enemies do something to me, you know what I want to do to them? 
the same thing you want to do to them, right? We want to take vengeance. We, we, we want to retaliate. We want to return evil for evil. We don't want to do things like overcome evil with good. You guys with me? See, that kind of love doesn't come natural to us, does it? You know, I don't want to love my wife if she starts looking and, and gets attracted to another man. That's it. This deal's done. I'm out of here. Right? See, that's what comes natural to us, right? See, I want it, you, you know, I want it, you meet your end of the bargain and I'll meet my end of the bargain and we'll just do this just right and that's when we'll love, right? And it's all good. And, but what happens when something goes wrong? Then what do you do? Right? See, we don't love like God loves, do we? But if you're born of the Spirit, you will have the potential and you will have the capacity to love this way. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect at it. You got to, right? I mean, walking like babies, we fall all over the place trying to, you know, manifest this love. We're like dropping to the ground and, and, and holding on to our hurts and, and so on and so forth. And, but over time, as we're reminded, as we come to the preaching of the word and preachers remind us of the love of God and our responsibility to follow the Spirit who's empowered us to do this, we grow and we become stronger. And we learn to love those who hurt us. We learn to ask for forgiveness. We learn to be like Christ. You understand? It's called sanctification, where God sets you apart day in and day out until you get to glory to be just like the one who saved you and redeemed you. You understand? Now, do you want to love this way? If you say, no way, man, that's not for me. I don't do that kind of Christianity. I'd say you don't know Jesus. I'd say you're not, you're not saved yet. You haven't been born again. Okay? You haven't received the seal of the Holy Spirit. Because if you have, this Holy Spirit will put this kind of love in you. That's what the text says. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's God's signature mark on that person. Get it? And he seals you, right, with his love. Okay? The third, uh, well, let me, let me illustrate this a couple of times, or with several verses. Turn over to 1 John. This is important. And this is, this, these are all topics in and of themselves, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm just mentioning them here. 1 John says this, and this is why I was so firm with, if you don't have this kind of love in you, you're not a Christian. Meaning you've been deceived, you probably gone to an altar call and a pastor told you there you're saved and you're just tr you're, you're trusting his word you're taking his word on for it but you're not looking to the word of God okay or you may have been baptized and mommy and daddy have, are trying to convince you that you're a Christian and you might be if you go to that altar call you might be saved but don't trust what the pastor's telling you don't trust mommy and daddy don't just trust mommy and daddy. Trust mommy and daddy, but don't just trust mommy and daddy. Is that okay, parents? Am I off the hook? Okay. Right? You have to trust the word of God. Your faith has to be in God ultimately, in his word. You guys with me? Okay? This is going to bring assurance that goes beyond mommy and daddy saying, or the pastor, or whomever you're, you look to. Okay? 1 John 3 10 says this, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And that's the first thing we talked about, about mortifying sin. Mortifying sin means you put off the old man and put on the new man that's practicing righteousness. Okay? That's not a part of your brand of Christianity. You've got to check yourself. Nor is he who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. See that? He who loves, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, notice how, by this we know, by this we know. Listen to that language. You know what that language is? Assurance, confirmation, sealing, authentication, how do you say that? That word, yeah. Okay. He says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death from 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So we just read in Romans chapter 5. When did he do that? While we were yet sinners. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See that? Now watch this. And by this we know that we are the tr- of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That's how assurance comes, right? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we love like God loves? And the love of the brethren, you guys, has to all together to do with church, Getting together with God's people, right? No longer making your home and and being comfortable and convenient with the world, but gathering with the brethren, the people of God, and loving that. You understand? Not just doing it because you have to, not doing it because it's a duty, not doing it because God up in heaven told you so. No, love the brethren. You understand? The Spirit of God has been given to you to do that. You say, yeah, but I don't like brother so-and-so. Well, neither do I. But I got to love him. Right? (laughs) You know, I'm just teasing, right? The point is this, guys. We're going to have to rub shoulders. And you know what rubbing shoulders is going to do? Rubbing shoulders is going to say, you know what, Lord? I'm kind of prejudiced against that kind of people. And I don't like admitting that. And God says, go love them. You stay right in there. Stay right in there. Stay there. Don't go anywhere. Because you're going to learn to love just like I loved you. You think I liked you when I saved you? Get it? See the point? So, but Lord, I'm not used to all this diversity. You know, I, I like hanging out with people that make me feel comfortable and cool and, and you know, my kind. You know what I'm talking about, Lord? No. Get it? See, the point is this, brothers and sisters. The love of Christ works best in sinful conditions. Do you understand that? That's where we show things like mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness. All that is the character of God, the one who loved us. You understand? If we're running from that, I don't want to get hurt. That's why I don't like being around people. I'm that way, brothers and sisters. I don't say that mockingly. That's Ernie King is that way. I don't like getting too close to people. Do you know that? Because I don't want to get hurt. But what I'm doing is I'm preserving myself there. You follow me? Christ wants us to learn how to love the way he loved us. And he's committed to doing that. And he's given you his Holy Spirit so you can learn to do that. Okay? And think about that in your relationships with your parents, or children. Think about that in your relationship with your children, especially the ones that you might be rubbing shoulders with now, parents. Think about that in your relationship, husband and wife, and the trials that God has ordained that you're going through where you're rubbing and, you're, and it's hurting and it's painful. And it's like, man, I married him, but I, I didn't know he was that way. You try to suppress all that at first, right? And then it starts coming out and you can't help it. You know, the sex is wore off and, and the, the romance and all that. And, and, you know, and it's like, man, it's getting mundane. And, and ooh, that's him and that's her. And that's, you understand? God says, love one another. 
the same love that I loved you with. You love him and her. Right? No excuses and no way out. It's only up. God's grace. So, God gives us his love, and love conquers all, brothers and sisters. It does. All right? Love will help us to overcome the depravity of sin that we see in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own communities, and so on and so forth. The third and the last thing that I want to draw to your attention, I want to leave on this note because I want to highlight this one, is the Spirit of God will urge you to listen and obey the Word of God. Okay? The Spirit of God will urge you to listen and obey the Word of God. So if you're a Christian and you've been born again, born by the Spirit of God, turn to 1 Peter 1. This is something else that God does to you or gives you to assure you that you're His. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 2, verse 2. This is Peter talking to his community of believers that he was ministering to. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Let me read that again. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And that pure heart there means sincere heart in truth. No games, no hiding. Having been born again, okay, born of the Spirit, you have spiritual life in you now. You fight sin. You, you know how to love sinners, and you're learning how to do that. And then he goes on to say this, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Brothers and sisters, do you know that you and I have become born again through the Word of God? You understand that? That's the seed that's incorruptible, that God has planted in your soul. What that means is you should have an appetite for what? God's Word. Like a baby that wants that bottle and just wants to drink and then go back to sleep and then, and then back to sleep. You understand? See, God has deposited his spirit in you, and that spirit gives you a desire or appetite for the word of God. And you're like, I want to hear preaching. I want to hear truth. That's why you come here, right? Because I have an appetite for God's word now. I've been born again. You see? Watch. He says this. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh, and what he's highlighting here is the temporal nature of the flesh, our mortal bodies, material things, homes, houses, everything, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What he's saying here is to start investing in the word. Make more out of the word of God and learning the word than you do uh, getting your paycheck at work, if you will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else be what? See, we flip that around, right? What we do is we get all that other stuff in order and then we say, you know what, Lord, now i got time for your word. You guys with me? No, it actually should be you need to make time for God's word and then let everything else be added around you. Follow me? Because of the appetite that God has given you. And guess what? Your appetite can diminish, right? You starve the word of God. You starve that aspect of your life and you'll be anemic. Or is it anemic or what is it? Anorexic? Okay. Yeah, it works the same way, right? If you go too far, it's hard to recover and get it back. Is my point. Okay. Let's keep reading. He's not done. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Emphasis on the word. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How are you going to grow? The word of God. You know what that desire is? Appetite. You understand? So, 
if you're not giving yourself to the Word of God, don't expect to grow. And if you're not growing, you're probably going to lack assurance that you're a Christian. You see what I'm saying? See how it works? Because you're not following the very thing that God sealed you with until the day of redemption. That's the Holy Spirit. And this is the way the Holy Spirit imparts assurance. And God has designed it that way, brothers and sisters, yes, to keep us coming. You understand? See, we're sinful enough to just get assured and then what? Go live the way we want, right? And God says, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, no way. So, you don't have to feel so bad, okay? Well, before I say that, let me make some qualifiers here. So I want to apply this in in two ways. Uh, The first application, and then we'll wrap this up. This morning is to, to you, believer. We've already determined that we can quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. And as I said, this is why you should not quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not because God is mad at you and God is going to take you to the woodshed and and beat you down. No, God's heart is, that's how I give you assurance. You understand? And if you're going to grieve and quench the very person that I gave you to assure you, then it's no wonder why you, you doubt so much. Follow me? That's your father's heart towards you, believer, with this issue. Okay? Now let me show you this in Scripture. Turn to Hebrews chapter... Well, let's go to Ephesians 4 to highlight this. And this is why sin is so dangerous to the Christian life and Christian experience, brothers and sisters. And I'm I'm just going to be frank with you guys here. If you play with sin, if you toy with sin, if you live in sin as a Christian, you deserve to lack assurance. Okay? Can't make excuses for that, can't make apologies for that. And this is why there's so many scriptures that emphasize us getting out of sin, fighting sin, being done with sin, resisting sin, even to the shedding of blood, because sin is a very, very serious matter with God. It is. And you say, well, what's so serious about sin with God? Because sin breaks relationship. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they died. They broke relationship with God. Okay? Tells you something about the heart of God. All right? What verse was that that I... uh, Ephesians 4. If I can have someone read that for me, please. We're going to do 4.30. And then I'll pick it up when I get there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, so do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the context here is, listen, verse 25. Well, let's pick it up in verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. Now watch how he explains how this is to be done. Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. So when is a liar no longer a liar? Right. Not when he stops lying, but when he puts on learning how to speak truth with his neighbor, right? When is a thief no longer a thief? When he stops stealing, and then he actually is transformed to learn to work to give to those who are in need. Then you know that man's been cleaned up, right? Follow me? When is a foul-mouthed person no longer a foul-mouthed person? When they stop cursing and dropping F-bombs and things like that? Or is it when they learn to stop doing that and learn to build up and encourage those around them? You understand? See, that's transformation. That's what mortification should be doing for us. Not only we are no longer just enslaved by our sin, but we're actually living to the glory of God. The thief is learning to give to those who are in need. The foul-mouthed person is learning to speak to build people up. 
The liar is no longer lying, but he's speaking the truth to people around him in love. You see that? That's Christ-likeness. That's what we're to be doing. If you're not doing that, this is the context, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You understand that? Then he goes on to say this, let bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and put on this and be kind to one another. So the person who loves to hold grudges and bittered and gets hurt all the time and just sits there and sulks and sours, that's a choice you're making, you know that? Especially if you're a Christian. When you do that and when you commit to doing that, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And you're probably going to feel like you're not a Christian, right? See how it works? Then the last verse, Hebrews chapter 10. This is heavy-hitting stuff. But the beauty of it is when you obey God, not perfectly, but when you follow him, he gives us the fruits from following the Spirit, which is joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, and so on and so forth. But they're fruits from following the Spirit. Point, we got to be following the Spirit. Okay, It's not automatic. You just don't automatically get fruits because you're in the Spirit. you got to follow the Spirit. Uh, verse 26 of chapter 10, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And what he's talking about there, uh, brothers and sisters, is if you practice a sinful lifestyle after you received the knowledge of the truth there. Okay? You guys with me? So, if you're living in fornication right now, you are violating this. You, you, you understand? Okay? If you're an ongoing fornicator, okay? This is what he's talking about here. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that means I know Jesus is the only way to be right with God. I made him my, my Savior, but I'm not living consistent with that. There remains no longer remains sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. What's he doing here? He's making the person feel what? Conviction. Judgment. Why are you talking that way to believers? Don't, don't start talking that way to me. I've been saved. But you're not going to experience the assurance of that when you're willfully engaging in sin. See the point? Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, now listen, and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, listen, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Now why would the writer to Hebrews bring in the Holy Spirit there? We're insulting the Spirit. You're grieving the Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. God's a person. And God is appalled when believers, whom He's redeemed by the blood of Jesus and sent His Son into the world, God is appalled when we continue to live willfully in sin. You guys understand that? See, this is a call for us, brothers and sisters, to repent, right, if we are living in sin, willful sin, practicing a sinful lifestyle before the Lord, all right? And the beauty in that for you is your assurance, your Christian vibrancy, your strength will be what? Restored. And you say, well, well, what does that mean for my life? It means your evangelism will be sweeter. If you're wondering why, man, I haven't been doing much evangelism lately. And it means that you'll, 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 you'll experience the blessing of God where you go. It means that you'll be, be more confident when you're speaking about the things of God. Your vibrancy will be restored. You guys with me? Okay, I want to give one illustration and then we'll close. Turn to Psalm 51. And the reason why I'm picking this guy is because this guy was a man after God's own heart. He was as saved as they come. Um, 
but he practiced, he fell into sin and practiced sin for a period of time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And that's David, right? Listen to all these things that happened to King David. So Nathan comes to him. Nathan says, you are the man. And the gig's up. David uh, finally breaks. You can read about what happened to David when he tried to cover this. That's Psalm 38, okay? Read that sometimes. David tried to cover his sin, and he went into depression. He had inflammation in the stomach. His friends stayed aloof from him and backed off. You understand? He started to experience all these consequences from trying to cover sin instead of confessing it, like the Bible says to. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? And cleanse us. So God says, Nathan, go talk to him. Nathan goes, says what he says, and we get Psalm 51 now. This is when David confesses now, and then everything's restored. Watch. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That would be confession, brothers and sisters, right? He's no longer going around trying to hide it. He's no longer making deals with Joab. Joab, put Uriah at the front of the line and, and well, before that, have him come home so I can get him drunk and, and maybe he can have some intimacies with his wife and then the kid will look like it was his kid. Yeah, well, we'll try that first, right? Covering his tracks. That failed. And then he says, you know what, Joab, come here. Here's a, I, what I need you to do is I need you to put Uriah on the front of the line and act like he dies in battle, you know, just mysteriously dies. And I'll try to cover this up that way, right? See, that's when God brought the rain on David And David started experiencing all these consequences. That's Psalm 38. Now he's confessing. He's not even going that route anymore. He's saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. I've done this. You know. All right? Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David's not saying that he didn't sin against Uriah and Bathsheba in them. What he's saying is he's personally recognizing it before God now. He's coming to terms with his relationship with God. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. He's speaking about the character of God here. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. What did David lose as a result of dangling in sin, joy and gladness, right? So he lost the joy of his salvation. One of the fruits from following the Spirit is joy. You know David doesn't have any peace here. His conscience was bothering the mess out of him, right? So he didn't have that either, right? He says that the bones you have broken may rejoice. The bones you have broken, what's that? What is he talking about there? You understand? Chastisement, okay? Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, which, meant, which implies what? That God was hiding his face from who? David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, why would a child of God be talking this way? And what does this say about his experience, you guys? What it says about his experience is that he grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit of God, and as a result of that, he lost the assurance that he was a Christian. But he knew, and this, is, this would be my counsel to you, brothers and sisters, but he knew that he was a what? Christian. Do you understand that? See, David knew he was a Christian. That's why he prayed. That's why he confessed. But at the same time, his assurance was diminished. You can see it in the way he's talking. You guys with me? And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, which implies it wasn't there before, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach, watch his evangelism be restored. Then I will teach transgressor your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So David stopped evangelizing while he was during that time, right? 
Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He's talking about a clean conscience now because he killed Uriah. And so he's saying, now I can live with some, you know, peace of conscience now that I confessed it. Deliver me from bloodshed, Lord. You guys with me? Don't try to carry the burden of your sin on your own. Confess it and take it to the cross. And God will deliver you from the guilt of whatever it is you've been holding on. He says, the God of myself and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So David probably stopped singing in the worship service, right? Because his conscience was bothering him. He knew things weren't right. And the Spirit of God was quenched in his life. Singing stops, evangelism stops, guilty conscience, and he's miserable as a Christian. You guys know what that's like? I do. I do. And if you're a Christian, you will know what this is like. It's just a matter of time. Don't panic. Come see the pastors, and we'll help you through it. We've been there, done that. We know all about this stuff. This is true Christian experience, okay? I'm not holier than King David. Neither is Doug or Phil. Right, bros? Okay. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Now David's speaking like a king again. He should have been concerned about the walls of Jerusalem and the Zion and so on and so forth because that's what kings do. You understand that? But he was so preoccupied with himself and self-centered that he lost sight of the nation of Israel that God had set him in charge over as a man after God's own heart. You understand? His strength was completely diminished as a king, as a father, as a husband because of his sin. All right? And then lastly, in closing, I want to just give a word to you who don't know God and who don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Bi- I'm a preparationist, okay? And what that means is, if you're outside of Christ, I don't believe that there's nothing that you can't do. I don't believe that that's taught in Scripture, okay? I believe that there are things that you can do, and those things that you need to be doing won't save you, okay? But you still need to be doing them. You need to be seeking God. You need to be praying. You need to be asking and putting your confidence in the Word of God. You guys follow me? Okay. I'll let you work out, you know, whether you think that the Bible teaches that or not, but I got to do what I got to do as a, as a pastor, all right? And you might be wondering, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Um, if there's nothing I can do, then what do I do? Just rot and die in my sins? No, you have to believe the gospel. That means you have to believe what I've been telling you today. And you have to align your life with that. You have to start talking to God about that. Well, Lord, what assurance and sealing and Holy Spirit, what is all that stuff? And, and how do I get it? And, and don't ignore it. Don't let your heart harden. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Okay? You're responsible for that. This pastor's telling you, don't let your heart harden. You say, well, well how do I let my heart harden? By going away from this sermon today and just treating it as a granite, well, that doesn't apply to me. And by the way, there's nothing I can do. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. All right? Now, let me give you some counsel in terms of what you should do. Turn to Luke chapter 11. And I would encourage you to wait upon the Lord. And waiting upon God means he has to save you. You can't save yourself. It's not the things that you do that save you. God has to save you. But this is what waiting looks like, all right? Luke chapter 11, and then we'll close out here. Verse 5. And this is after Jesus spoke uh, the Lord's Prayer to his disciples here. And he's discipling them. He says, a friend comes at, or, or he says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go home? 
Go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because of his friend, yet because, of, because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now watch how Jesus applies this parable. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, and I would just put that out to you fathers, if your sons ask you for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? Or... If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't let your heart harden. You have no excuses why you should not be saved. Okay? And don't put the ball back in God's court in a hyper way. Meaning, well, there's nothing I can do. It's all up to God. He must do it. That's true. God must grant salvation to you and seal you with His Spirit. But you should be asking, knocking, seeking, praying. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. I've heard preaching today, and I'm not going to let you go, Lord, until you bless me. Do you understand? Don't let your heart harden under the Word of God. All right? This is way too important if you're outside of Christ this morning. Get on your knees, in your heart, pray to Him. And you say, well, well Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't feel like He did anything. Don't worry about that. You just keep aligning your life to the Word of God and the people of God, and let God do the saving. He promises He will. All right? Let's pray.